Tuesday, November 19th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me as always is Jared Smola. And Jared, it's good. It's it's a better week for us than it is for Mark Walton because we still have jobs, right? Yeah, Walton was just cut on Tuesday morning here after some other, you know, new off field issue. You know, he's had a bunch of those already. I think Walton's not good enough to, you know, be guaranteed another shot in the league. Um, you know, with, with all this off-field baggage, so he's probably cuttable in like dynasty leagues. Even I guess we get another uh, what five or six games of Kalen Balaj here. Oh my God! <laughs> Apparently, it's it looks like it's going to be a great spot for Miles Gaskin, a great chance for Miles Gaskin to get work. Isn't Patrick Laird the other guy who might be in the mix there? I don't even remember. Yeah, Laird's the guy I was going to mention. He, you know, he's actually playing ahead of Gaskin at this point, and Laird actually caught six balls last week against Buffalo. So if Miami wisens up and decides to give someone else else some work it looks like Laird might be the better bet over Miles Gaskin this looks like the Detroit backfield to me where you don't want to bother with anybody if you can help it but lots of people need to bother with guys like that and we'll get to that Detroit backfield again probably in a few minutes on this show yeah yeah I'd say Miami's backfield is a worse situation than Detroit's even And I agree on Walton. I mean, he's been dumped by the Bengals and the Dolphins now. If those two teams (laughs) are not willing to put up with your crap, it's tough to imagine another team doing so. If he were a bigger talent, it would be Patriots time for him. But (laughs) he's a big enough talent to be worth it there. Right, right. Elsewhere in backfield news, Damian Williams went down with a rib injury in that garbage Monday night game that really should have been a lot better than it was. But we had Damian Williams leave early with a rib injury. Sounds like it's a rib cartilage issue, right? Yeah, that that's according to um Dr. David Chow. You know, I, I don't think anything official from the team yet, but the rib cartilage, that's the that's the injury that Julian Edelman had early this season. It's the same injury that Emmanuel Sanders is dealing with now. And Edelman and Sanders, neither of those guys missed time, but I think you could you know you could definitely tell with Sanders last week that it was bothering him. Um the the Chiefs have a week twelve bye here, which is you know obviously well timed with Damon Williams exiting that game, LaShawn McCoy was concussed in that game, Tyree Kill with the hamstring. So I think the bye week, you know, it gives all those guys a chance to be ready come week 13. Yeah, it's also, I mean, even with the bye to rest up and maybe we get both of those guys back on the field in week 13, but it's a solid time to go ahead and stash Daryl Williams if you're looking for some running back fortifications, especially because the bye should make him a little cheaper. I would be more interested in him than somebody like Patrick Laird if I'm bidding tonight. Yeah, me too. It's actually, you know, it's an interesting week on the waiver wire. I think there's quite a few running backs that are worth considering, at least. I would, I'd put Williams right there with Bo Scarborough as a pickup and, you know, both those guys pretty easily ahead of Patrick Laird. Yeah. I mean, certainly if Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy are back, then Daryl Williams is not somebody that you're considering using. If either of those guys is out, Williams enters consideration probably in like the 30 to 36 range among yep. running backs, depending on the matchup. And, you know, if both of those guys are out, then suddenly Daryl Williams is like, you know, top 18 most weeks, probably. Right. I think Williams has more, you know, upside than any of these guys we'll talk about, you know, that are available on waiver wires this week. Yes, I agree with that. Same game, Tyreek Hill left early with a right hamstring injury. Have you seen any update on his likely status beyond the bye? Nope, haven't seen anything on Tyreek. You know, he he stayed on the sideline for the rest of that game, and I don't think the Chiefs ever actually ruled him out. So, you know, that would suggest it's not super serious. And again, the bye week helps. Of course, hamstring injuries for, especially for receivers like Hill, can be tricky. McCole Hardman is definitely the pickup here. I mean, you know, he he was 
basically drafted as the Tyreek Hill replacement. He, he might be the closest thing to, to Tyreek Hill in the NFL right now. And Hardman, you know, in, in those four games that Tyreek Hill missed early this season, Hardman averaged 5.5 targets per game in those. So if Hill does miss time, Hardman's going to be a fantasy starter in this offense. Yeah, and he lined up even in the backfield at least a few times last night. So I agree if Hill misses any further time, Hardman gets more interesting. Barely played with Hill back over the past few weeks, but as you mentioned, that changes a lot if there's no Tyreek Hill on the field because he fills that role as well as anybody else realistically could. Elsewhere, Marlon Mack was on his way to a huge day against the Jaguars. Then he fractured his right hand, has already had surgery on that. He's almost certainly going to miss Thursday night against Houston. I think we're still waiting to see if Mack's going to miss time beyond that, right? Yeah, we haven't got any like, concrete timetables yet. I think Adam Schefter said it's not season-ending, and I think it was Ian Rappaport said like Mack is going to miss a few weeks, I think was the quote. Dr. Chow said last night that he thinks there's a there's a reasonable chance Mack is back come week 13. So I think I think Mack worth hanging on to in most fantasy leagues that, you know, if you have the, the bench space. As for Thursday night, I think a lot of it comes down to Jordan Wilkins' status. You know, he was out this past week with an ankle injury. If he's able to play on Thursday night, and, and he, he said Monday that he expects to play. I mean, I, I don't know how much to put into that because players tend to be over-optimistic. But if Wilkins is back, then we're probably looking at a three-back committee with Wilkins, with Jonathan Williams, and with Naheem Hines. So that'd make it tougher to trust. If Wilkins is out, I think Jonathan Williams is in the mix just, you know, based on volume. Yeah, if Jordan Wilkins is back, are you taking a shot on Jonathan Williams over him, or would you lean toward Wilkins since he's been on the active roster all year? Yeah, that's tough because I mean, you know, you, you'd have Wilkins coming off the ankle. You had Jonathan Williams, who really looked excellent um, this past week, and he's a guy you know we we liked coming out of Arkansas. Um, he's had a bunch of injury issues that have sort of held him back, but I, I, I guess I think I'd lean towards Williams if Wilkins plays, but I, I would try to avoid both guys it's not a great spot the Colts are three and a half point road underdogs the Texans much tougher against the run than the pass so actually it could be more of a uh, Naheem Hines game as the primary pass catching back the Texans have actually allowed the most running back catches in the second most running back receiving yards yeah that's what I was about to say it might well be a spot where going to Naheem Hines even from early in the game uh, makes sense and if Wilkins is back I, I agree I would try not to use Jonathan Williams I hope it's another Jonathan Williams game I've been waiting for several <laughs> years now for some Jonathan Williams games and we finally got it last week against Jacksonville so if Wilkins is out you know Williams is an option I, I will have to track that over the next couple of days of course you can check shark bites and we'll be updating our rankings depending on what's going on there. I wouldn't go out of my way to bid on Jonathan Williams. And I agree with you that I would keep Marlon Mack around until he gets put on IR. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think among the running backs available on most waiver warriors, Williams is the best fantasy bat for this week. If Jordan Wilkins is out. Huh. Well, well, let's go ahead and jump. I have Bo Scarborough lower in the notes, but this seems like a good spot to go ahead and get on him. So mm-hmm. First of all, he came out of nowhere, basically, to play 49% of the offensive snaps for Detroit this past weekend against Dallas. Saw 14 of the 19 Lions running back carries. Ty Johnson played just 29%. J.D. McKissick played just 23%. McKissick was still the leader in running back targets, but those other two guys combined for five carries to Scarborough's 14. So it looks like Bo Scarborough is 
the lead ball carrier for now in Detroit. Of course, we've seen before, we can't necessarily assume that that's the way it is going forward. (laughs) They're at Washington this week. It's not a tremendous matchup for rushing, but it's also not a game where Detroit is likely to fall behind. I think if Jordan Wilkins is back, I would lead lean Bo Scarborough over Jonathan Williams. And I would probably bid more for Scarborough this week because I think there's a better chance that he stays relevant beyond this week than Jonathan Williams doing so. I'd agree with that because, you know, as soon as Marlon Mack is back and even maybe when Jordan Wilkins is fully healthy, Williams might not really be a factor. The issue with Scarborough beyond this week is that their next four games are Chicago, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Denver, all, you know, all pretty tough spots for the offense in general. And, and, you know, especially the running game. Um, well, you know, Chicago's been a good rough matchup actually. Who, uh, Chicago. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the numbers, but I mean, I guess I, I, I know the bears haven't been as tough as they were last year. And, you know, we, we just saw Gurley have a nice game against them, but I, I guess I, I just don't trust this Lions running game in general. And that that's sort of why, at least for this week, I would prefer Jonathan Williams, you know, just running behind that O-line versus, you know, what we've seen in this Lions backfield all year. It'll be easier if your league does waivers on Wednesday night than if it does Tuesday night, because by right. Wednesday late afternoon, we should have a, a pretty decent idea of whether we can expect Wilkins back. And I, I agree with you that if you know, Wilkins is ruled out for the game on Wednesday afternoon, mm-hmm. and then you have waivers, then I would take Jonathan Williams over Bo Scarborough because I like the offense better. And I think that Jonathan Williams is a better player than Bo Scarborough. And even though Houston's been a negative rushing matchup, I don't think it's like a you know brick wall rushing matchup. I think there's yeah. certainly room for Jonathan Williams to produce there. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I expect the Colts passing game to have plenty of, su- of success on Thursday night, which you know helps Williams' touchdown upside. Um, j- just sticking on Scarborough for a second, I, I, I would agree that I think Williams is a better player, but but Scarborough is not just some like no name guy. He he went to Alabama, averaged five point seven yards per carry there. He he never was like the lead guy there. He was playing in backfields alongside Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris. You know, a couple of NFLers now. But Scarborough, six one, two hundred twenty eight pounds, eighty sixth percentile spark guy. He just, again, you know, he he never had huge numbers at, at Bama. He also had a bunch of injuries, uh, two torn ACLs and a broken leg. So he ended up dropping to the seventh round, actually went to the Cowboys um, in that draft a few years ago. But a guy who I think, if he's healthy, he's an NFL quality running back. Yeah, has failed to stick in Dallas, failed to stick in Seattle, but I think there are some skills there to mine. I think he also shared time with Derrick Henry at Alabama, too. Uh, yeah, Scarborough's first year might have been Henry's last. So yeah, Scarborough's fine. I would generally like him over Jonathan Williams. No, I'm not excited about any of these guys, so I don't want to overplay the value on any of them, I think, going forward. Nope, that's fair. But I, I think they're both in RB3 range in our Week 12 rankings. Mm-hmm. It's certainly worth a look on waivers this week if you are in need of a running back and you got money left. Yep. At wide receiver, Will Fuller has is apparently a game-time decision reportedly for Thursday night against the Colts. I would hope that I don't need to wait for him, but you know, maybe Will Fuller's back in the mix. I'm I'm honestly scared to play a questionable Will Fuller heading into the game if I can help it. Yeah, I, I would I'm, I'm with you. I try to avoid him if possible. Fuller was limited in practice all last week and then held out of that game. It, it, I think I think it's possible the Texans were just sort of, you know, saving him for this this big game against the Colts. I'd feel better if we see him get in a full practice on Tuesday or Wednesday. 
Not a great matchup anyways, though, for Fuller, even if he is healthy. You know, the, the Colts are a neutral matchup for wide receiver scoring. They, they do a good job limiting big plays, though. They've allowed the fifth fewest pass completions of 40 plus yards this season. So not a great spot for Fuller anyways. And, and the hamstring thing obviously adds risk. Yeah, I think with the hamstring, if he's active, he probably sits somewhere in like the 34 to 42 range for me at wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Beyond that, the other injuries we had a wide receiver from the Thursday night game, Juju Smith-Schuster left that game with a concussion. We found out later he also has a knee issue. Deontay Johnson left that game with a concussion. We're going to have to watch both of those guys in their practice reports this week. And if either or both is out, could clear more space for James Washington to become a factor in week 12 for their matchup at Cincinnati. And of course the matchup at Cincinnati adds up to upside to anybody who plays against them. Right. Yeah. I, I think if Juju and Deontay Johnson are out, I, I'd feel, you know, Pretty good using James Washington as like a wide receiver three. He actually has come on a bit recently here. He has 16 targets, 13 catches, 208 yards, and a touchdown over his last three games. You know, he's, he's had a few, a few of his better games as a pro recently here. My biggest issue is I just don't trust Mason Rudolph. Um, and I think even in this Bengals matchup, it's, you know, better on the ground even than through the air. So I think, you know, even if James Conner's out, we could just see a bunch of running from Pittsburgh. Beyond Cincinnati, they've got Cleveland at Arizona. Uh, home for Buffalo at the Jets. The Jets are in week 16. So uh, there are a couple of potentially usable spots. We'll see about the injuries for those other guys. I think that James Washington is at least comparably interesting versus the running backs that we already talked about. Assuming you don't have a big need at running back, if you're just like looking to spend your money on somebody who might have value going forward. If, if, if I'm in decent shape at running back, I think I would be more interested in James Washington than Scarborough or Jonathan Williams this week. Um, that that's fair because I think at this point of the season, um, you know, you, you're looking for guys that can help you immediately. I always tend to lean towards grabbing and stashing running backs in general. But yeah, if, if you're if you're pretty solid at running back, I'd have no issue targeting James Washington over these running backs. I think a oh, actually, before we get to the next section, let's talk about another guy who might be back, Sterling Shepard practice Monday he's still been dealing with a concussion that was his second of the seasons kept him out a while we can watch him this week but you know let's hope that we finally get Sterling Shepard back for this matchup at Chicago yeah not a great spot against Chicago but I think Shepard you know based on volume would be back in the wide receiver three mix I I do think if Shepard's back it would take Darius Slayton out of the mix for me at least this week in this spot I agree Evan Ingram said Monday quote definitely possible that he plays against the Bears. He did not practice on Monday, so that makes it a little bit less definitely possible as far as I'm concerned. We'll have to watch him this week. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're an Ingram owner at this point, assume he's not playing and start lining up other options if, if Ingram does go. You know, he's fine to get back in lineups. Rhett Ellison, too, recovering from a concussion, so he might not even be available even if Ingram's out. One guy who might be available, however, is Noah Fant who saw 11 targets against Minnesota this past week. That makes 24 targets in three games since the Emmanuel Sanders trade, a 26% share of Denver's total pass attempts over that span. And Noah Fant, as of Tuesday morning, still available in about 86% of ESPN leagues. And that's even after a 50% increase in his ownership versus week 11. So Noah Fant, so if I'm sitting this week with issues at tight end, and I'm okay at running back where probably neither Jonathan Williams nor Bo Scarborough is going to start for me in week 12. And I'm good enough, at least at wide receiver, that James Washington is not looking like a week 12 starter. Noah Fant would be a priority for me over all of those three guys. 
I totally agree with that. And unless you're desperate at running back, and even if you're desperate at wide receiver, I might prioritize Noah Fant over James Washington. I always think it's easier to find you know, viable wide receivers on the waiver wire. I, I couldn't believe when I saw Fant is still available in 86% of ESPN leagues. I mean, I, I get that it's Brandon Allen and, you know, Fant hasn't been the most reliable player this season, but with the volume he's getting, you know, he, he's going to be a top 10 tight end in our rankings, I think, probably every week for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to do more than five targets a week at tight end right now to be a at least a fringe starter. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he should be picked up pretty much everywhere. I think he should be more than 50% owned in ESPN leagues at the end of this week. I know that that covers a wide range of leagues, and I know that the standard ESPN league is 10 teams. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very different when we're looking elsewhere at sites that are focused on more serious leagues. But no offense should be owned a lot basically pretty much in all 12 team leagues going forward. Yeah. I mean, definitely all 12 team, even 10 team leagues. I, it'd be tough for me to imagine a reason why he wouldn't be owned, even if he's, you know, just on benches as a spot start option. Mm-hmm. In the same game, we saw a playing time gap show up between the Denver running backs. We had season high playing time for Philip Lindsay against Minnesota. We had season low for Royce Freeman. And that followed a report that we might see something like that. Right, yeah. Tom, Tom Pellicero reported on Sunday morning that the Broncos, at least in in this game, were looking to feature Philip Lindsay more, and that's definitely what they did. Lindsay en- ended up that game in Minnesota with 18 opportunities, Royce Freeman just nine. So, you know, we'll see if it becomes a trend where it's you know something like that two to one split. You know, I think for now, Philip Lindsay definitely the better play, and, and Freeman at this point, you know, after only getting those nine opportunities last week, I I'd, I'd try to bench him at least this week against Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, this is really what we've been waiting for from Philip Lindsay this year, and he's got a terrific schedule the rest of the way at Buffalo this week, home for the Chargers, at Houston, which shows up as a neutral scoring matchup for running backs in our strength of schedule page, and then at Kansas City, home for Detroit in Week 16. So if you're looking for a running back to try to trade for right now, maybe take a look at Philip Lindsay, who, even though he got more touches than usual against Minnesota, didn't do anything big stat-wise in that game. Yeah, I like that idea. I would, I would assume that he's still available for a decent price in trades. Darius Geis made his return to the field this last weekend. He is still available in a little bit more than 50% of ESPN leagues. I would also be more interested in, in him than Bo Scarborough or Jonathan Williams. The playing time isn't there yet. He was second among Washington running backs in playing time in that game against the Jets. Wendell Smallwood led the way 46% of the snaps. Geis played 29%. Adrian Peterson, 25%, but the carries went nine for Peterson, seven for Geis, zero for Smallwood. Targets went three for Smallwood, two apiece for the other guys. So I'm guessing that most of the playing time for Smallwood was later in the game when they were trailing and he's the passing down back. And I think that especially when you look at the 45-yard screen pass touchdown that Geis had, there's every reason for Washington to look to increase his playing time quickly down the stretch of the season. Yeah, and I, and I do expect Geis' role to grow going forward here. I, I don't think he's going to become like a 20-touch guy. I just think with his injury issues and the fact that, you know, Washington has nothing left to play for this year, I don't think they want to overwork him. But I do think, you know, he might start getting 12 to 15 touches per game. Hopefully Wendell Smallwood just kind of goes away, or maybe Adrian Peterson just goes away. We'll see. Um you know, Geis versus these other running backs, if you're not desperate for a guy to use this week, I would definitely prioritize Geis over Jonathan Williams and Bo Scarborough. Again, I do prefer Williams this week if Jordan Wilkins is out. 
Yeah, I would take Williams for this week. I would bid more for Geis if all three of them are available because and not, there's there's upside to the matchup this week, even if he doesn't see a big boost in mm-hmm. touches at home against Detroit, where he could produce even on you know 10 to 12 total touches in this game. And I think Washington has good reason to give him the larger share. I agree that he's, I don't think he's going to turn into a workhorse this year, but we know that the Bill Callahan Washington offense wants to stay on the ground as much as possible. And they really need to see what they have in Darius Geis if they can for whatever he can hold up for this season. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue with Geis is that Washington offense is just so bad. I mean, the, the Dolphins offense is better than Washington's right now. So Cincinnati's might be better than Washington, too. <laughs> elsewhere Cameron Brait is apparently better than OJ Howard as far as Bruce Arians (laughs) is concerned 14 targets against the Saints 10 catches for 73 yards played 75 percent of Tampa Bay's offensive snaps OJ Howard played 25 percent had one target and afterward Bruce Arians said and I'm paraphrasing here but only slightly he's a talented player but it's not showing up on Sundays so obviously Bruce Arians is unimpressed with something about what O.J. Howard is doing on game days. It does not sound like O.J. Howard is a guy that he truly believes can really help the offense and is looking to get spots for him to shine in. Which is just crazy to me. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought Howard was a huge talent coming into the league. I think he you know, flashed huge ability over his first couple seasons. So it's, it, it's sad to see what's happening here. I hope either... Howard and Arians can get it figured out or Howard can can move on and play elsewhere. But yeah, I think for the rest of this season, he's impossible to trust. I, I'm not ready to trust Cameron Brait yet either. I mean, I think eventually down the line, he, he's an option this week if you're desperate. But you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know we get something closer to the playing time we had been seeing. Uh, I'm not sure Howard is benched permanently at this point. Yeah, I mean, Brait has never been a three quarters of the game guy, even when OJ Howard's been out. Brate's more like a half to 60% playing time guy because he's not a good blocker and he's a receiver only. So I, I think this one's going to remain an anomaly in terms of the amount of work he got. But the drastic shift in playing time is certainly not good things here. The whole thing just makes me wonder why the Bucks didn't go ahead and trade OJ Howard if it's true that there were teams out there willing to give them a first round pick for Howard. I think that's when like the coaching staff and their front office clashes. Like I, I'm sure the Bucks front office realizes how big a talent OJ Howard is, and they probably didn't want to, you know, give up on him even if he's not fitting into what Arians is trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'll also be curious to see how long Bruce Arians sticks around in this post. This is one mm-hmm. spot where I wouldn't be shocked if he is one and done. Right? Yeah, I, I would. I'd be trying to buy OJ Howard in Dynasty right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Nick Foles got back on the field against the Colts. Didn't win. They got blown up, but. Uh, completed 33 of 47 throws, 296 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, 15 targets for DJ Chark, eight for Chris Conley, six for D.D. Westbrook, seven for Leonard Fournette, five for Keelan Cole. So we still have just a game and a quarter of Nick Foles in the regular season with the Jaguars, but we can at least, I think, put to bed the notion that D.D. Westbrook is a favored option for him and just kind of expect things to go forward as they have been among uh, Jacksonville passing game options. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, DJ Chark's actually seen 31% of Nick Foles pass attempts now in, you know, one in a, a quarter game. So, you know, Chark, Chark remains the clear leader here. Um, you know, Nick Foles, the, the 47 pass attempts are what stand out to me. 
And, you know, the, the Jags lost that game. They were playing from behind in the second half, but I, I looked in, in the first half, that was a one score game throughout. And the Jags went 76% pass in the first half. So I think it was their game plan to go pass heavy. You know, whether that remains the same going forward, I, I think it's going to be matchup dependent. I don't love Foles this week against the Titans on the road in Tennessee. But then Foles gets the Bucks in week 13. He gets the Raiders in week 15. He gets the Falcons in week 16. I, 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 I guess by week 16, we'll have a better idea of exactly what Atlanta's defense is. But I think at least for week 13 and week 15, Foles is going to be a viable quarterback one spot starter. I think Nick Foles is in the QB1 discussion for this week because Tennessee has been much tougher on the run than the pass. And we mentioned going into the season that we expected Jacksonville under John D. Filippo to throw the ball more. Now they've got the high-priced quarterback that they acquired in the offseason back in the lineup as opposed to the sixth-round rookie. I think we're going to keep getting plenty of volume. I, I like Nick Foles' upside. Granted, the, the floor is relatively low, but as we talked about when we did our, our Week 12 rankings run this morning, there's all the good quarterbacks, it seems like, are in tough spots this week. It's going to be a goofy week at quarterback. I would not be surprised to see Nick Foles finish among the top eight. Yeah, definitely a tough week for quarterback. Um, I guess the reason I don't like Foles as much this week is I think there are quite a few viable spot starters that I like over him. You know, Baker Mayfield against Miami. Derek Carr has a nice matchup. Sam Darnold, nice matchup. So yeah, I, I like those three guys as, you know, guys that should be available on waiver wires that, that I, I'd use over Foles this week. I guess we'll probably save more Nick Foles talk for the Thursday podcast and beyond. Let's talk about Josh Allen before we quit talking about quarterbacks. Past two weeks. So Josh Allen is funny because when the Bills lose or he, you know, misses on a key play, everybody's like, ah, Josh Allen's not a good enough passer. And then when they have a game like they did against Miami, everybody, and especially for us who are in Bill's country here in Rochester. Everybody's like, oh, Josh Allen, nobody believed in him, but we do. And now he's making them all pay. So from fantasy, Josh Allen's always been better so far in fantasy than in real life. The past two weeks, though, have been his two largest fantasy scores of the season. I think that's important to keep in mind. He has also had four rushing touchdowns over the past three weeks. He's going to keep doing that more than other quarterbacks, but let's not overrate the likelihood of him scoring rushing touchdowns every single week. Yeah. And you know, we, we've been talking on the Thursday podcast about how Allen has really been more of a floor play than a ceiling play this season, but, you know, which is fine. But you know, he, the, I, these last two games, they came in plus matchup matchups against the Browns and dolphins. Those teams are, are 21st and 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks that the schedule now going forward for Josh Allen gets a lot tougher. It's Denver, Dallas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, New England. At the same time, I think that those matchups mean less for Josh Allen because you know he does get so much of his fantasy value from his rushing ability. So I do think you know he he could stick around as a lower end quarterback one the rest of the way. Um, but I I just don't think you're going to get many if if any more ceiling weeks from him. Yeah, I agree. So if you can find somebody like if somebody in your league is is struggling a bit at quarterback mm-hmm. and you can get like, I don't know, QB six value in a trade for Josh Allen, I definitely think that it's worth looking into moving him for help elsewhere. I mean, even there are a couple of defenses that we'll get to in a few minutes that might be worth targeting for the stretch run. Do you need to move Josh Allen? No, I don't think so, because as you said, he gets so much from the rushing and he is a main part of their goal line rushing package. So he probably will score at least a couple more rushing touchdowns the rest of the way. So I, I would say that Josh Allen is a good bet to be in like the tw- the QB 12 to QB 14 range the rest of the way. 
but the matchups get tougher. I think he's a better bet to be down there as opposed to near the top of the rankings. So I would at least look into the selling market for him this week. Yep. I agree. Definitely sellable. If you can get, you know, a starter at any other position, I think I'd move Josh Allen, even if you're just streaming the rest of the way. Let's talk about the Niners offense. We'll start with Jimmy Garoppolo, who had his second big outing against the Cardinals within the past three weeks. Here's what he's done so far this season against the Cardinals averaged 34 fantasy points per game. He topped 30 fantasy points in each one. Obviously the specific numbers there depend a lot on your particular scoring system, but By comparison, Garoppolo's other eight games, he has averaged 15 and a half fantasy points. And that includes a big week two at Cincinnati. That was the only other game where Jimmy Garoppolo hit 20 fantasy points. So it it would it it would be nice if Garoppolo could play the Cardinals again this season. He's not going to. So you probably should not count on Garoppolo helping your fantasy roster too much more. Yeah, I'd definitely be selling Garoppolo if you can get anything for him right now. You know, he 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 didn't even play well against Arizona last week. You know, he he just racked up some numbers. Um, so you know, he he's not a guy I really trust going forward, especially because you know the 49ers do still want to be a run first offense, even though their running game has struggled these last few weeks. Ross Dwelly is he Jacob Hollister? Or is he somebody that we're gonna forget about by this time next week? Um, I mean, I prefer Hollister just because George Kittle will be back at some point, but I do think Dwelly is a week 12 option, or I, I think he's an option for as long as Kittle remains out. Um, Dwelly's seen 12 targets over the last two games now, and he's, he's you know, runner out on 84 and then 73% of Garoppolo's dropback. So, you know, he's, he's, he's almost just stepped into George Kittle's role, and he's obviously not nearly as good a player, but with that usage, he's definitely a fantasy option. Yeah, I was expecting that we would see more Garrett Selleck this past week in his second game back from IR, but doesn't look like that's going to be the case. We finally got more from Kyle Juszczyk. I, I guess finally is not the right word, but <laughs> I was hoping for some Kyle Juszczyk stuff the week before after uh, there was after Kyle Shanahan even said that uh, he was going to be part of the George Kittle replacement. We got basically nothing against the Seahawks. Then we got seven targets, and he caught all seven for 63 yards. I don't think we can expect more of that. But if George Kittle is out, it's not out of the question for uh, Juice Trick to get, you know, three or four catches. Yeah, Niners Packers uh, Sunday night this week, so you can throw Juice Trick in a showdown lineup. No, I'm not going to now because he's <laughs> over. I tried to the week before on Monday night, and it didn't work. And then this past week, he gave the week. So, so now if I use him, he's going to go back to like I don't know, two catches for ten <laughs> yards, and it'll probably be more expensive. Exactly. Emmanuel Sanders played. But as you mentioned earlier in the show, it was limited. It only played 47% of the snaps, saw five targets, three catches for 33. It's good news that he played because I think, you know, we should expect to see more of him this week and going forward. But maybe suppress the expectations a little bit, especially in a matchup that's been rougher on passing than rushing. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we'll keep an eye on what Sanders does in practice this week. You know, he, I, it seemed to me that he just left that game completely last week at one point I'm, you know, I don't know if he took a hit or whatever but he, he was on the sidelines for most if not all of the second half but yeah he, he should play this week against Green Bay but um, you know if he remains limited in practice this week I think you know he we saw we saw the risk that he comes within that game against the Cardinals now, I don't think he practiced at all last week before playing that game did he yeah you're yeah you're right he didn't practice at all yeah so I guess even limited would be an upgrade. We'll, we'll certainly watch him throughout the week. Yep. Debo Samuel, in the meantime, became what looks like at least part of the starter discussion the rest of the way for fantasy receivers. Two straight games now of eight catches and 110 plus receiving yards. 
And Tebow's awesome. I, I love that guy. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens to his volume once Sanders is healthy and Kittle's healthy. You know, if, if I'm Shanahan, I'm, I'm keeping Debo Samuel involved. Um, you know, I, I think this week, you know, Kittle and Sanders aren't going to be 100% even if they play. So I, I think Samuel is a fantasy starter this week. Yeah, and the Niners were scrounging for receivers through the first half of the season. It looks like they're set now with Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel as their top two, even when Sanders is all the way healthy if he gets to that point. Yeah, definitely. Tevin Coleman, meanwhile, in the backfield, not nearly as happy to see the Cardinals as Jimmy Garoppolo is. 12 carries for 14 yards, three catches for 48, so at least he's doing that. His two worst rushing lines of the season came against the Cardinals over the past three weeks. 2.3 yards per carry, 11 carries per game in three games overall since that big one against Carolina. Two of those were against Arizona. The other game, he was decent efficiency-wise, 4.4 yards per carry, but only carried like nine times, I believe it was. Next two weeks give us Green Bay and Baltimore. Both of those matchups have been much more favorable for rushing than passing. It seems like it should be good spots for San Francisco to give Kevin Coleman the ball, but it also seems like they haven't been trying to load him up with touches lately. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that the Niners running game has just struggled for these past three weeks in general. I don't think Coleman's helped any, and he actually has two of his three worst pro football focus rushing grades have come the past two weeks. So, you know, he's, he's struggling. Um, I, I do think this Packers matchup though is a great get right spot for the running game in general. So I'd, I'd stick with Tevin Coleman as a fantasy starter. Um, you know, we'll see if Matt Breda's back. I think he's still in the running back three mix. And if Breda's out, I think Raheem Mostert is still in the running back three mix. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. On the other side of last week's matchup, David Johnson played nine snaps, as I'm sure everybody's aware at this point. He, he tweeted whelp after the game, so he feels as good about his role as you do if you have David Johnson on your fantasy roster. Kenyon Drake played 88%. He got all 16 of the running back carries, all seven of the running back targets, ranked second on the team in total targets for that game. And all of that came after... Kyle Shanahan said that he liked where David Johnson's head was at in, I'm not, I'm sorry, not Kyle Shanahan, uh, Cliff Kingsbury said he liked where David Johnson's head was at in practice. And the GM said it was up to David Johnson to like get things going in the right direction the rest of the way. It doesn't sound like it's up to him if he's only playing nine snaps. I give Cliff Kingsbury credit for playing his best running back, even though, you know, David Johnson's making 10 times as much as Drake or whatever it is. Um, the Cardinals have a week 12 by now. We'll, we'll see if, that gets Johnson healthier. And, and if, you know, injuries were the reason he wasn't playing it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. And, and of course, Chase Edmonds is, you know, going to be back at some point, I assume, which could sort of muddy this backfield a bit more going forward. But I mean, to me, Kenny and Drake is the best running back in Arizona right now. So I think he should remain the leader the rest of the way. And this might look like a situation where you go ahead and try to buy David Johnson in yeah. dynasty, but He's older than you want a running back to be. He's going to be 28 in the middle of December. He's got some injuries on him. I would personally not be buying David Johnson here. I think we're very near to his end, really, as a as a viable fantasy candidate. Yep, I agree. I would not be buying David Johnson. Um, probably can't sell him either at this point, but um, yeah, he's, he's a hold at best. It might be worth looking into what you can get from him, because maybe you can find somebody who's like, yeah, I'll buy David Johnson for you know, first or second round rookie pick. Yep. Yeah, definitely worth checking on. 
Over to defenses to close this thing out. Let's talk about a couple from the past couple of weeks. And I think that the Baltimore defense is is for real at this point. I started out the season doubting them and then, you know, even had questions through much of the year to this point. But I think now, especially after what they did to Houston, we should consider the Ravens a difficult matchup overall. Still more difficult for passing than rushing, as we've mentioned before. But they held Houston to 232 total yards, seven points. Uh, We've now seen two straight Baltimore opponents throw for 150 or less. Granted, one of those was the Ryan Finley Bengals, but still, 150 is a low number, no matter who the quarterback is on the other side, really. They're at the Rams next, then home for the Niners, at the Bills, home for the Jets, at the Browns. Baltimore not only looks like a tough matchup for your offensive guys, but looks like a team defense that you could play from here on out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, by the numbers, at least it's, you know, since, since they acquired Marcus Peters is when, you know, this defense has really gotten hot, at least the past defense. And in those four games, they faced Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Ryan Finley, and and Deshaun Watson. So, you know, three of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, they've held those guys to a 57.5% completion rate, 5.9 yards per attempt. So looking at those next five opponents, Josh Allen is the only quarterback I'd consider using against Baltimore and yeah I agree I think the Ravens defense is a team you can probably start the rest of the way now if you if you wanted to yeah I agree with that I I should have taken them more seriously I think after they went to Seattle and shut down Russell Wilson's offense which others have not had much luck doing this year yep I think that you could even try looking into a trade for Baltimore before they put up something even bigger this week, especially because they're visiting the Rams. And I think that still might look like a more worrisome matchup than it really is for people. If you're looking to trade a few bigger name defenses, I guess bills, bears and Rams are some that I might consider trading away because they all have much tougher draws the rest of the way. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Elsewhere, the Falcons, Two straight weeks now where they have shut down opponents at New Orleans. They had the six sacks. Then they went to Carolina, picked off Kyle Allen four times. Jared, I know that you think the Falcons are for real now, right? Jeez. I mean, I mean, <laughs> last last week was last week was much more about Kyle Allen just throwing up an absolute dud. I don't know what the Falcons defense. I we'll see what they do against the Bucks this week. I mean, I, I think they're not as bad as they were. Early in the season, I don't think they're as good as what they've looked like the past two weeks. They're somewhere in between. Um, yeah, I know they changed play callers, so you know I don't know if they've been running a different scheme or whatever. So you know, maybe it's something that opposing offenses will start catching up to eventually. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna play my I'm gonna play my Bucks again against the Falcons this week, and you know maybe get burned again. But you know we'll we'll see. I guess. Yeah, I think that I'll probably lean away from paying up for those bucks and DFS against Atlanta. I'm certainly playing Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and James Winston in season long and not worrying about it too much there. I I don't honestly believe that Atlanta's for real, you know, compared with the numbers that they have limited opponents to. I don't think, for example, that if they face the Saints again, they're going to hold them to just a touchdown. Or even if they face the Panthers again, that they would hold them to a field goal and pick Kyle Allen four times. So I, they're, they're doing something better. They have switched things up in the front seven a bit. They've figured something out. So they went from being this defense that you absolutely target every week to one that we at least have to rethink and that we can use this week as a team defense against Tampa Bay. They are in starter range in our week 12 rankings. 
I don't think that I would like to use Atlanta as a starting defense next week in their home game against the Saints, though. <laughs> no, de- definitely not against the Saints. Um, yeah, I mean, it's with Atlanta's D, it's not like we thought it was going to be a strong unit coming into the season. I mean, I think, you know, at best we thought it was going to be a middling defense. So I think that's where I'm at for now. I'm going to consider Atlanta a neutral matchup, you know, not one to specifically attack, not one I'm avoiding. And then, you know, we'll, we'll obviously continue to see what it does the rest of the way here. And Kyle Allen, I think this was like the last shot for him. This was, this looked like a matchup where he should do something. And he did the absolute opposite of something. So I am not using him on purpose again. Maybe that Washington game, they are at the Saints next, then home for Washington, then at the Falcons. He's probably going to be like 18th on my list for that Washington game. So if that puts him in the mix, then uh, there you go. I'm I'm done with Kyle Allen forever. I, honestly, though, I'm I'm wondering if we'll see Will Greer, who you know the 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 Panthers spent what was it a third round pick on this spring. It, I think it would make sense to get him a few starts down the stretch. Yeah, you would think so because Kyle Allen certainly seems to be showing at this point that he's not a long term answer. Right. Exactly. On to the streaming defenses, which we always finish out this podcast with next two weeks. Week 12, we mentioned the Falcons. They're at home for the Bucks. I like them. They're then home for New Orleans, home for Carolina after that. So, you know, if the Falcons dominate the Bucks this week, I could see that using them against New Orleans. I still think that's going to be a downside risk spot where they're probably going to be outside the top 12, but we'll see. But if you pick up the Falcons this week, you could have them as an option for week 14 against Carolina. They're slightly ahead of the Browns and pretty decently ahead of the Titans for me. I like the Browns over the Falcons this week, and it is close. I think Atlanta has more upside. I also think Atlanta has more downside. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks put up 30 on the Falcons. I think they have that upside with their weapons. Plus, the Browns get the Steelers and Bengals the two weeks following the Dolphins. So I do think Cleveland, really for the next three weeks, is the better option. Yes. If I have a defense that I'm looking to replace this week, I'm leaning Falcons over the Browns. If I if I'm trying to find one for the next three, then I agree that I would lean Cleveland over Atlanta because I like all three of those matchups, including this week against Miami. The Titans are still an option as well. If neither of the other ones are available for some reason, then they're at Indy next week and at Oakland after that. I'm probably not playing Tennessee in either of those spots. Agreed. Yeah, I think the Titans are your third best option this week. I think the Lions are like your your last ditch fallback. Um, they get that game against Dwayne Haskins and the Redskins. The Redskins have allowed 10 sacks over their last two games now with Haskins under center. Going farther back, Washington's allowed three plus sacks in seven of their last eight games. For week 13, I like the Eagles at the Dolphins. I like the Packers at the Giants. Both of those are still less than 40% owned on ESPN, or at least back down to less than 40%. I don't think either of those is likely to be claimed this week, so they they should be options for Week 13 for you, especially especially if you claim them now, because mm-hmm. Philly faces the Seahawks, uh, Green Bay faces the Niners. Those aren't matchups to go grab those defenses for. And beyond the Dolphins, the Eagles are home for the Giants, home for Washington, so they'd be a good one to stash right now. Yeah, I like both those, and I might prioritize the Eagles just because of those two games following the Dolphins. Um, I think my favorite option for week 13, though, would be the Panthers, who I, you know, I, I'm sure they're owned right now, but they're probably going to get dropped in a lot of leagues for this week's Saints matchup. And week 13, Carolina's home for the Redskins. So I think, you know, th- they're a defense where I'd be willing to stash them and roster two Ds just to use Carolina in week 13. 
Yeah, I like it. And this is definitely a time of year to look ahead in defenses and even look into the playoff weeks. Check the strength of schedule page on DraftSharks.com. If you're an insider, you can plan ahead for that schedule and not have to be trying to fight for streamers every week. Yep, exactly. Any more defenses to mention? I got the Lions here who are home for the Bears on Thanksgiving. If it's, um, I guess if it's Trubisky or Chase Daniel, I think the Lions will be, uh, you know, at least a pretty high floor play against the Bears Bears offense that really can't do anything right now. Yeah, it will be worth watching Trey Flowers. He suffered a concussion there defensive end uh, this past weekend. So we'll see if he's available for week 12 and then week 13 especially. But certainly upside, I agree, to the matchups with Washington and Chicago. And that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our updated rest of the way rankings, our week 12 projections and rankings, and then come Wednesday, our latest set of Fantasy Vision write-ups. In case you're not familiar with those, that's where we have somebody watching every single game every week and writing up analysis on all the key guys from all those games. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.